Welcome to the Later in Life Planning Show with Patrick Colley, brought to you by Keystone Elder Law, right here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, here's your host, Patrick Colley. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. At Keystone Elder Law, we are trying to be the shield that protects the middle class from the costs of getting older. And we do that not only by sharing free education on this show, the Later in Life Planning Show, but we also have weekly online workshops where we talk about how you're going to pay for long-term care using various pay strategies from get out your checkbook to using Medicare or Medicaid. There's another workshop on planning way ahead while you are still healthy with estate planning tools to shield yourself and your family from costs, from emotions, and all the stress that comes with a decline in health. If you haven't heard the previous episodes of the show, they are available on whp580.com under the podcast menu. They're also available on the iHeart app on your phone, as well as just about any other podcast player, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and so forth. The fact is... A decline in health is very likely in the later years of life, and with it comes a need for a higher level of care. That higher level of care is probably going to be very expensive. So in addition to education about the legal planning that people really ought to be doing uh, well in advance of a decline in health, this show is intended to explore the medical and the financial and other aspects of the later years of life. Toward that goal, last week we had a conversation with Dr. Rollin Wright uh, from Penn State Health at Hershey Medical Center. She went uh, into dementia and cognitive decline and spoke at length about what's happening in the brain uh, as it is literally dying uh, with dementia. It was a fascinating episode, and I recommend you check it out. This week, I am thrilled to have another expert guest on the show. February is American Heart Month. This is the 57th year we are recognizing February as American Heart Month. Of course, the idea is to uh, to bring nation- nationwide attention to heart disease, which continues to be a leading cause of death. My guest today is Dr. Raj Dave, who is an in- interventional cardiologist, and he'll explain what that means. He is with cardi- Cardiovascular Experts of Pennsylvania, uh, located in Camp Hill. You can find them at cardiovascularexperts.com. If Having, uh, if avoiding, I should say, avoiding a heart attack or a stroke or losing a limb is something that concerns you, you will want to pay close attention to what Dr. Dave has to say. Dr. Dave, thank you for being here today and sharing your time and expertise. Thank you very much, Patrick, for uh, invitation. Uh, This should be a great conversation. I agree. And I wanted to start, uh, uh, we talked about, or we sort of organized a number of talking points before we we went live here, just because there's so much information to share with people. But I wanted to start a bit broadly and just ask, what is interventional cardiology? Interventional cardiology is a specialty where we expertise in placing stents in the heart arteries, carotid arteries, leg arteries, kidney arteries. It's a, it's a uh, science where we employ uh, techniques which, uh, for the procedures which occur through just a needle hole rather than having your chest cut open or your leg filled open. And through this needle hole, we can do procedures where we can open up the block arteries. You and I spoke, gosh, it seems like forever ago with COVID, but we spoke uh, via Zoom and did a similar interview a while back. And 
I got the distinct impression that a lot of what you do did not exist maybe a couple decades ago at that recently, just with advances in technology or so forth. Am I getting that right? This is absolutely correct. You know, interventional procedures have been around for about 25 years. And really, uh, 2003 was a key time frame where uh, uh, new technologies such as drug-coded sense started coming out, which really changed the direction of the field and, and made surgery a lot less uh, a required option. Uh, and majority of the patients today are being treated by the interventional techniques. And these techniques, uh, it has to be just a very fast-moving area of medicine. It, it would seem like there's constantly probably new techniques or new technologies coming out. And I wanted to note that you are a founder uh, and and definitely the direct, uh, director of maybe coursework or curriculum for a group called C3 Interventional Academy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I, um, uh, I came from a family of teachers, and it's always been in my blood uh, to teach other people what I had learned. I've been very, very fortunate. I had incredible uh, training in cardiology and interventional cardiology. I trained with some of the pioneers in the field. And I always wanted to give back to a fraternity of the future interventional cardiologists who is going to be taking care of many of your viewers you know, 20 years down the line when I am retired. So uh, C3 is our uh, global congress where many of these physicians, which they come from all over the world, and I teach them how to open up uh, heart and leg arteries and the carotid arteries, uh, and they take uh, their knowledge back to their communities and help many patients. So let's focus on what what the point of all of this is that you're not only practicing but also teaching. I, I, I gather that a major focus of what you do is peripheral artery disease, and then that could take us into a discussion of not only heart disease during heart month but also diabetes, I suppose. But why don't you tell the listeners a little bit what is peripheral artery disease? Why is that such a, an important focus? So peripheral artery disease is a uh, disease of the arteries which uh, uh, is outside of the heart, and that's why it's called peripheral, which involves leg arteries, kidney arteries, carotid arteries, where you develop a plaque buildup in the artery, which leads to a blockage and a lack of blood flow. And depending on where the artery is located, you uh, patients develop symptoms, such as example, which is the most common one, is blockage in the leg artery. So if somebody develops a blockage in the leg artery when they walk, uh, they have pain. Sometimes people, those who have diabetes, have very severe blockages in multiple locations of the leg arteries, and they develop non-healing wounds, gangrene, ulcers, and many of these patients end up losing their legs over time, and that's what's called peripheral arterial disease. You know, and I've, I've spoken with people on your team before, and, and I maybe shared a little bit about how it can sometimes be difficult to, to share information and get people to take action and, and uh, maybe update their legal planning for the later years of life, have a power of attorney, have a, have a will or a trust. And, and I said jokingly, I suppose, to your team that it must be a little easier to convince people to, to straighten out and do the right thing when they might lose a limb. But they said you'd be surprised. <laughs> you know, sometimes <laughs> people wait until, until things are really bad and then they need an expert like you to open up blocked arteries or else very bad things are going to happen, whether it's losing a limb, having a heart attack, having a stroke. We, we see that all the time, Patrick. Uh, you know, I, I unfortunately have uh, the privilege to, to take care of the patients when they come 
uh, urgently. Uh, sometimes people come with a chest pain and they ended up having a heart attack. And all of a sudden we are uh, in the hospital now in the ICU. We have opened up a heart artery and, and they, they have a complete um, uh, change in their life planning because they never expected this. You know, at the same time, you know, we see patients, those who come in with uh, uh, pain in their foot, or black toes, and all of a sudden uh, they're detected to have such a severe disease that they ended up having an amputation, and now they're not going to be returning to work, and they have to replan their entire life. So it's very important that these conditions are detected early, and that's why we talk about it in in this show and many other uh, uh, mediums where how... Uh, uh, someone who has risk factors can assess the risk uh, by having a simple consultation and a very simple test, which is very, very quick to happen. And so at your practice, cardiovascular experts in Camp Hill, you're not only doing the procedure to that you described, a very minute hole compared to a major surgery, but to open up the, the uh, blocked artery, but you're also doing the diagnostic testing to detect that there is, in fact, a problem. Yeah, so cardiovascular experts of PA in, in Camp Hill uh, has ambulatory surgery center which, where we do the procedures. But we also have the entire suite of all other services such as ultrasound, stress test, EKG, uh, vascular ultrasound, and many other diagnostic uh, procedures that's done all in one location. And before we get into heart disease, after all, it is heart month, um, I want to set the stage for when we come back from a break. And so it's not just heart disease, and, and you already said it really depends where the, the blockage might be, and, and the underlying illness could be diabetes. I, am I right to say that that adult-onset diabetes, as opposed to the kind you might be, be born with or have as a child, has been on the rise for quite some time? Yeah, and and, it, and it's a global epidemic worldwide now with the diabetes and in next 30 years we are almost going to double the diabetic population worldwide including in united states so the everything that we've been talking about we're going to be seeing more and more of it as we get closer and closer you know to 2030 2050 more on that in a moment, but uh, this is why we do the Later in Life Planning Show. We're, we're drawing attention to issues that come up later in life so that you can make plans both for your health, for your legal planning, your financial planning. We'll come back in a moment. You are listening to the Later in Life Planning Show sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. Now, more of the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. We are back with the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I am Patrick Cauley. My guest today is Dr. Raj Dave of Cardiovascular Experts of PA. They are located on Market Street in Camp Hill, and you can find them at cardiovascularexperts.com. Dr. Dave, before the break, you were uh, we started to talk a bit about uh, diabetes in particular, uh, although this is just part of the bigger picture. But you were talking about how it's on the rise, how the statistics are, are showing an upward trend. We're going to see so much more of this. 
Um, I wanted to focus a little bit on that, it, just some of the, the causes. I suppose it's diet, it's it's people not, not doing certain things they should be doing. Can you just shed a little light on that? So it's complicated, of course, uh, that why diabetes is on the rise. But the most important thing in Americans is, is uh, childhood obesity and, and the diet and, and our lifestyle. Our lifestyle is such where people are less active, uh, they're watching a lot of TV, uh, and they're heavy, uh, and as you get older and older, you don't produce enough insulin, uh, which is a hormone, really, that's produced by uh, uh, pancreas in your body. It's just not enough to deal with all the sugar that's you know uh, you are eating, and because the patient can be overweight. But then there are many other complex reasons of having diabetes as well, including uh, genetic factors. Uh, stress, uh, alcohol utilization, uh, and, and others. But uh, you are absolutely correct. It's a big problem in America. And if people hear that and they see themselves in that, maybe a little too much sitting around, not enough movement, not enough exercise, too much refined sugar and so forth, uh, I imagine that's something that they can take up with their primary care physician. Without question. And so what should be done there? I think that the their primary care physician uh, can check their fasting blood glucose, and that's a very simple test to determine, you know, if they are producing enough insulin to deal with all the sugar that they are eating. Uh, and that's a one very simple test that primary care physician does. They also provide uh, counseling in terms of the diet choices. Uh, and, and as you know, in America, you know, our diet choices are very rich. You know, people drink soda. They drink a lot of stuff with cream. Uh, and high-fat content foods, uh, which uh, and, and, of course, alcohol also has a fair amount of sugar in it. So more sugar you put in, the less um, available hormone you have to deal with that sugar, and your sugar level goes up, and that's why we call it a delta onset. You know, and I think just speaking on a personal level, I think I've been very fortunate. I have a primary care physician who talks about the, you know, not only – the test that's being run, but why it's being run. So looking for markers of pre-diabetes, you know, not there yet, but you're, but you're at a certain level. And um, add that to what I've already heard you say uh, in another context when we spoke the last time. I remember you saying something like smoking with diabetes is like throwing fuel on a fire. Which is absolutely correct. And just for, the, for your viewers, uh, if somebody loses 10 pounds, you know, if you just have a little bit of elevated sugar, you almost certainly are going to avoid medications. Walking 30 minutes a day and losing 10 pounds, you're certain to reduce your sugar by 20 points. So some of these small measures can be very, very effective in in prevention uh, of adult onset diabetes and, and managing it better. I hope regular listeners of this show are paying attention because it seems like just one week ago, another uh, medical doctor was saying that the same kind of exercise has unbelievable medicinal qualities for uh, brain health and, and avoiding dementia. So it just seems like uh, movement and, and exercise can be some of the best medicine. Uh, one, what, But just as I say that, I'm picturing a lot of maybe the older clients I see at Keystone Elder Law, and they might be saying, well, I've got these aches and pains. I don't move as much because I'm older, and that's normal, and it's normal to have these aches and pains. And And I just wanted to throw that to you because I remember when we spoke before, you said, well, 
that's how things go undetected is when people write it off as the aches and pains of getting older. Yeah, I think that that's a very valid uh, point uh, that somebody who has really both bad knees or hips, you know, we're not going to be able to get them to walk for 30 minutes. Uh, uh, what we do for someone like that is we, we recommend them a stationary bike in their house. Uh, or we might say, okay, you may not want to walk outside, but you can walk inside your house uh, for 10 minutes. And that's also very effective. And when it comes to early detection and not letting things go undetected, are there aches and pains that are normal as opposed to aches and pains of getting older that are really, to you, a red flag that there could be something serious going on? Yeah, so let's just take an example of peripheral arterial disease because this is one condition that's extremely underdiagnosed throughout the country and probably globally. And uh, a lot of elderly uh, uh, patients that we see, they come to us and say, oh, I have fatigue in my legs, and that's because I'm now 72 or I'm 75. But really, that's not normal. You shouldn't be having fatigue in your legs. And if you have fatigue in your legs, you should be getting checked out by your physician to see if you have a blockages in your leg arteries. Uh, now, second example would be women. So women's heart disease uh, represents differently. And uh, for example, men's classic symptom of heart disease is a chest pressure. However, 30% of the women, they don't get chest pressure. They get short of breath. They get fatigue. So that's why the detection of heart disease in women is also much, much lower. So uh, it's important to keep these things in mind and, and better to be on the safer side and having yourself checked out than to just ignore it. That's interesting that you, you, you draw these distinctions between how things present for women and for men um, and and I believe I read something from your office that that uh, heart disease kills more women than all the cancers do combined. So why is it that uh, heart disease or uh, the arterial disease is on the rise for women as opposed to men? And and wh- I don't know why that strikes me as so surprising. But what why is there that differentiation between the two? Yeah, so that does exist, and there are really four fundamental reasons. One is lack of recognition. Second is difference in the symptoms between men and women. There are biological differences between two sexes. And the fourth, which is the most important one, is the delay in getting care. Uh, And the delay in getting care occurs partly because of the lack of recognition by physicians, because physicians are uh, used to what we call a pattern recognition uh, and that's how they practice medicine. Uh, and when it comes to women, the pattern recognition doesn't really work as well because women have, for example, I just told you about heart disease, have 30% of them have different kind of symptoms. For example, they might have shortness of breath, they might have a pain in the neck, jaw, or pain in the back, or fatigue. And these are vague symptoms, not clear cut of the heart disease, but they can be. Uh, And that's part of the reason why the detection is later in life and gets more complex. Uh, And and that's part of the reason why the mortality uh, remains high in women with heart disease. Yeah, I think that the, the one thing when it comes to heart disease, heart attack risk, one thing that's sort of been beat into the heads of everybody in the public is you're going to get that chest pain. You're going to get that tightness in your chest. You're, you may be a tingling in your arm. And you're saying it's not really like that for a lot of women. They're going to get 
just to, you know the the fatigue or they're going to get the the pain in the back and i assume that's just not enough blood not enough oxygen so it's showing up in different ways that's absolutely correct that's absolutely correct but i think that the most important thing that we uh, what we are talking about is is educating your viewers that if you are a woman you should really know your risk factors and know your risk so if you have family history of heart disease if you have high cholesterol if you have diabetes high blood pressure if you are a smoker get yourself checked and that's how we reduce the risk of having a serious event because if this can be diagnosed early a very easy treatment can be given right as opposed to a heart attack a stroke losing limbs. And of course, that takes me into my world at Keystone Elder Law, where if you are losing a limb, your mobility will be affected. Your ability to do the things that you take for granted in your day are going to be completely altered. It might require an extensive level of help. If there's a stroke, there's going to be potentially lasting cognitive and maybe physical impairments. And so now we're looking at a higher level of care. That, of course, costs money. Uh, at Keystone Elder Law, as I said earlier, we have these uh, online workshops to teach people about what you can be doing from that perspective. I would much rather you stop smoking and and get checked out by your physician and never need a, lo- a higher level of care. But it's good to have planning in place, both legal and financial, in case there's a higher level of care and so you can save an awful lot of money for your family. When we come back from the break, we'll go on uh, to talk about more with heart disease, it being Heart Month uh, in, in America, the 57th time we're recognizing that. So Dr. Raj Dave of Cardiovascular Experts will share more on heart disease and peripheral artery disease. You are listening to the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law, and we are on News Radio WHP 580. Welcome back to the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. Here's Patrick Colley. Okay, we are back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. The guest today is Dr. Raj Dave from Cardiovascular Experts of PA. They are located in on Market Street in Camp Hill. You can find them at cardiovascularexperts.com. And Dr. Dave, before the break, we you were discussing some of the differences between men and women uh, when it comes to heart disease and and uh, the various the peripheral artery disease, and I guess some of it comes down to uh, different symptoms that 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 the primary care physician might not pick up on as part of their pattern recognition. Instead of that tightness in the in the chest or the chest pain, you're going to have more back pain or, or upper abdomen pain or or just general fatigue. So it just shows up differently. Um, and I suppose some of it might be some of the, 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 the women aren't actually going to get checked out the way that men would for, for various social reasons. Has that been at all part of your experience? Yeah, I think that, you know, not, not only that there is a uh, gender differences, but there is also racial differences as well. Uh, throughout the country, and and uh, we know from our scientific studies that African American women, especially, uh, they are disadvantaged when it comes to detection of the heart disease or the vascular disease, and they suffer from more severe consequences than a Caucasian uh, uh, person. So, not only there are gender differences, but there are racial differences as well. And. You know, if the women in my life are, are any indication, they're probably more focused on taking care of the people around them, their their spouse, their their kids, rather than they sort of put themselves last. They're not they're not going to go uh, put the attention on themselves. They'll put up with an awful lot of discomfort before they seek help. 
That's definitely true. You know, they they have their motherly instinct, uh, and they are generally responsible for the affairs of the of the house. And uh, we see a lot, especially in in elderly couple, that uh, the wife really is taking care of the medications. Uh, for the husband and feels responsible for taking his care and really ignores her own health. Sure. So, and is there any sort of biological difference that could result in women having greater levels of heart disease? I mean, the size of the arteries, anything like that uh, is how how the blood flow is working? Yeah, I think that it's not exactly well understood. But in general, we see smaller arteries in women. We see more arteries that constrict, which we call spasm in medicine. Uh, And we also see uh, that uh, they are low in weight. And sometimes because of uh, uh, lack of really good nutrition and certain deficiencies of smaller molecules and vitamins, uh, you know, some of the conditions are exacerbated. For example, anemia is a is a very common uh, condition that affects elderly women, and anemia is now linked uh, to heart failure. So iron deficiency anemia. In fact, I saw somebody today whose hemoglobin was only nine point zero. Well, that should be really eleven to thirteen. So uh, and she has never been uh, checked before, or it's never been detected, and now she's short of breath. And I think she's short of breath because she's anemic. So yes, there are certain biological differences that exist between the two sexes, and and that can explain. Uh, uh, some of the causes and and uh, limitations in the treatment, uh, if you want to call it. And once once you have someone, either in a in a primary care physician's office or in your office, maybe with higher tech uh, equipment or or more sophisticated techniques, um, is there anything that would would still go undetected? I I you know I think you use maybe an, an angiogram. Is that going to catch the blockages, or is is there any difference between men and women there? Yeah, so once they get to our door, you know, then there is really no uh, uh, limitation at all because with our current techniques that I was describing to you earlier where we can do a simple angiography through a needle hole, which is an outpatient procedure, we can look at the heart arteries, we can look at the leg arteries, and we can look at the carotid arteries, and we pretty much can diagnose everything at that point. One thing that you said uh, already in this talk has been that uh, women and, and really all people should start to be more familiar with their the the, the numbers. Uh, what what's their blood pressure? What's their cholesterol level? Um, do they have risk factors like smoking, um, stress levels? Uh, do they have a poor diet? Are they not exercising? So that's you know that that's fairly straightforward. Is, are there other things that people should be doing or are there resources that you point people to if they need to learn more about where they stand on these issues? I think that you know one the key things are to reduce the risk. And then you already mentioned high blood pressure. You already mentioned high cholesterol. Uh, you already mentioned exercise and the diet. Now, one of the other things that um, uh, sometimes is not being paid as much attention to, however, Uh, we understand more and more now in cardiovascular medicine is the stress. Uh, And it's important for them to do something for themselves to reduce the stress of life, such as, you know, for example, yoga, if you want to, if you like doing yoga. Uh, Some people like to go to uh, a certain stress-reducing classes, you know, get together with the friends and 
and, and do a little uh, uh, Zumba class, for example. You know, I have a really wonderful uh, elderly lady that goes to a Zumba class and it does a great job with it. Uh, so I think that stress is an important thing for women uh, because they carry everything on their shoulder uh, and uh, there is a lot of stress in life. So stress reduction is an important thing in addition to everything else we've been t- discussing. You know, in, in since physical exercise, it, you know, I think the, the general recommendation from my own doctor and I think from you is 30 minutes a day of moderate exercise. And I'm not sure, you know, what that means for one person that could be yoga or it could be uh, walking or even uh running of some sort or some other cardiovascular exercise. But I personally, I think that doubles as stress relief because it just releases all those happy chemicals in the brain that let you sleep better, that let you work out the frustrations of the day. So maybe it's possible to to take care of two of these, these factors at one time. Yeah, absolutely is correct. And, you know, so are there resources, though, that outside of your practice that that you would point to uh, anything where where people if they need anything from more education to uh, diagnostic testing to just understanding what their blood markers are. Where, where should people go? Yeah, so so the most common place uh, besides uh, they can clearly go to our website where we have an immense amount of material for uh, women and heart disease and uh, men and heart disease or a vascular disease, but they can also go to the American Heart Association website called heart.org, uh, which has some great tips about how to live a healthy life, how to have a healthy dietary uh, pattern, for example, uh, what to eat, uh, what not to eat, and and you don't have to go for any consultation. You could go and read uh, some of those uh, resources that's on heart.org, which is a nonprofit organization uh, that provides a lot of education for the community. Excellent. So that's cardiovascularexperts.com, heart.org. Did I get that right for the American Heart Association? And uh, of course, I'd be remiss if I did not say that we have plenty of resources at KeystoneElderLaw.com, not so much about what to do for your heart health and vascular health, but for other aspects of the planning. I'd like to move into uh, this practice that you founded and and uh, and are running in Camp Hill, Cardiovascular Experts of PA. You're doing both the diagnostic testing and some of the procedures, but tell me a little more about how this cardiovascular experts of PA came to be. Why did you start it and so forth? So, so I came to Harrisburg in year 2000, and, and I was uh, with a large uh, uh, practice called Associated Cardiology, uh, which then was acquired by the hospital in 2011. At that time, uh, Holy Spirit Health System had approached me to lead their cardiovascular program, uh, and we had a great success there. I was uh, running the cardiovascular division at Holy Spirit Hospital until uh, year 2021, a solid uh, uh, 10 years. Uh, now, a COVID pandemic has changed everything for doctors, hospitals, communities, and all of our lives. And one of the biggest things that happened during COVID was that the hospitals were overwhelmed and many cardiac and vascular patients were not able to obtain treatment. Uh, in central Pennsylvania, uh, when it comes to cardiovascular care, there was no other option 
for the patients to go except to go to a hospital. So that was one of the driving factors uh, in my mind that, you know, under my watch, I would never like to see this happen again, uh, uh, that uh, patients uh, have no plan B. And, and that's why I uh, founded uh, Cardiovascular Experts of Pennsylvania and Cardiovascular Experts Surgical Center where cardiovascular procedures can be performed. So it's a, all in one location. It's extremely convenient. Uh, there is no need to go to the hospital. And this is another uh, excellent uh, and even better in many ways a place to obtain your cardiovascular care. We'll follow up on, on cardiovascular experts of PA in a moment. We, we've covered really a lot of ground for what peripheral arterial disease is, what, you know, how diabetes and heart disease come into play here in some of the treatments, and more importantly, the preventions that come into play. At Keystone Elder Law, we're, we're working on constant education to let people know things that will happen later in life and how they can plan ahead to make the later in life years go more smoothly. We'll be back in a moment with our guest, Dr. Raj Dave. I, you are listening to the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. It's the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, your host, Patrick Colley. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I am Patrick Colley. My guest today is Dr. Raj Dave. He has been speaking uh, in some detail about peripheral artery disease, diabetes, heart disease, and after all, this is American Heart Month. And so before the break, uh, Dr. Dave, you were talking about uh, how you opened Cardiovascular Experts of PA. It is conveniently located uh, there on Market Street in Camp Hill. You can get there from any direction pretty easily. And the reason for doing it, that there were these people in the hospital, who were there were traditionally that kind of care would be given, but during COVID, they were dealing with more urgent matters, and so these people with with chronic heart disease or diabetes were were going without the level of care that they normally would have received. And and just on a personal level, my I have a brother who is uh, vice president of a hospital system in Baltimore, and they were absolutely overwhelmed by COVID. And when things with COVID started to calm down a little bit, I said to him. So, you know, what do you do now? And he said, oh, we're just as busy because now all these people whose hearts were failing or other organ systems were failing, they're finally getting the attention that they should have been getting all along. And so this has been, you know, probably all over the globe, uh, an issue where where finding an alternative to treatment in the hospital for heart disease or peripheral artery disease uh, has been uh, necessary, and you seem to have nailed it with cardiovascular experts of PA. But speak to us about, um, you know, it's an ambulatory surgical center, at least in part. So what is that, and uh, how does that uh, bring benefits to your patients? So ambulatory surgery center is a facility where you have the same type of equipment that you would find in the hospital. In fact, you know, our ambulatory surgical center has the latest uh, equipment that uh, uh, rivals any state-of-the-art institution in the world where any heart or a vascular procedure can be done. There is no uh, lines there. You know, you uh, come in, you're, it's very convenient. 
uh, and you undergo your procedure and you are discharged two hours later. So it's a same-day surgery. Uh, we don't call it surgery. We call it procedure because it's not a cutting. We do this everything through a needle hole. Uh, I should also congratulate uh, our Pennsylvania legislature because Pennsylvania legislature in 2022 uh, made a, a giant leap in the care of care of cardiovascular disease by passing a legislation that allows many of the cardiac procedures now to be able to be performed in ambulatory surgery center. And in fact, uh, I'm very proud to say that Cardiovascular Expert Surgical Center was the first center in the state of Pennsylvania to perform a heart artery stent procedure in our center. And I imagine the legislature was catching up just like everybody else, finding looking looking at the, the need for an alternative delivery system for this kind of care uh, after COVID. It caused an awful lot of rethinking about the way we were doing things. And the last time we spoke, uh, which I think might have been before COVID, you were telling me then about some of the state-of-the-art equipment in your uh, your practice in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. You You were telling me at that time about some sophisticated piece of, of imaging technology that you were getting from Japan. And so, you know, I, I don't, I just, I think that's so important that people realize, wait a second, this isn't some sprawling hospital complex. It's a somewhat smaller building in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, but you have state-of-the-art technology there for the, the diagnostic testing, the imaging, but also the, the procedures that you do. The procedure has become so sophisticated now that uh, and so standardized that not everyone has to go to the hospital to have this procedure. They don't need to stay in the hospital. They can almost 90% of the time have this procedure done as an outpatient and go home. Now, there are few high-risk patients that we I perform in the hospital, and there, and there are several things that we take into consideration to determine that, but that's what we do the consultation for to determine who can have this procedure where. And when you look at the high-risk patients and you're thinking, well, we ought to do this in the hospital, what are you looking for there? What makes well, someone— Well, you know, I'll give you an example of it. You know, somebody who has a really poor heart pump function— who may need a, a heart uh, support device to be able to open up their heart arteries. Now, that uh, that patient would have to stay one or two nights uh, inside the institution to be able to have that procedure. So that clearly would not be a case that we, we would do in, for example, ambulatory surgery center. Uh, now, if somebody is having a stroke, we may have to uh, put a uh, uh, what we call a mercy type device in their brain to pull a uh, clot out, and then we may have to uh, drip uh, a drip of a blood thinner for 24 hours to resolve the stroke symptoms, and that certainly cannot be done in the ambulatory surgery center. That's something that we would do in the hospital. So there are lots of things like that. You know that uh, there are a lot of guidance about that about how to differentiate between who should be done where, and that's where the physician experience matters. So I've done over 10,000 of these procedures, uh, one of the top you know, 10 physicians in the world uh, who does cardiac and vascular interventional procedures. And my judgment uh, for these is uh, second to none. Uh, so that's where uh, the experience counts, and that's where the physician skills count and their training uh, and that's why uh, people from all over the state come to us. So that that really gives me a much better sense of who is a high risk person who needs to have the the procedure done in a hospital. 
why don't we talk about everybody else? What what are the the general kinds of procedures you're doing, and what are the problems you're solving there at Cardiovascular Experts of PA? So, for ex- let's just take a couple of examples which are very common in your viewers. Many of them would have had these procedures. Uh, we do heart catheterization, which is a very common heart procedure where we would put in a tiny little needle hole and then we run a straw-like plastic tube to their tube to their heart arteries or to their bypass grafts and we inject dye so we can take pictures and we can see where the blockages are. Very similarly, we do a similar procedure for the leg arteries, which is another most common procedure that we do. We also do those procedures in the carotid arteries where we are looking for blockages in the carotid arteries. So not only do we look at the blockage, but in the same setting, then we'll go ahead and implant a stent there. So it's a one-stop shopping. Uh, So you come, put an angiogram, you get your stent, and then in two hours, you go home. And uh, really, uh, 99.99% of the time, our patients uh, love it. Uh, It's extremely convenient. And the very next day, uh, they go back to their own life as if nothing's ever happened. You know, and there's got to be something to be said for avoiding other illness that you might get in the hospital. We have a whole practice area that has emerged called, you know, the hospitalist doctor who wants to keep you healthy while you're in the hospital, which tells me that, you know, you're avoiding certain risks just by not being in the hospital. So that's one point I wanted to to drive home. Have there been studies of the safety of having a procedure done in an outpatient or ambulatory surgical center like yours? As opposed to the hospital, just outcomes as far as what's the safer place, assuming that they're not high risk. So so the outcome uh, uh, of any heart and vascular procedure in ambulatory surgery center has been studied extensively. In fact, the Society of Cardiac Angiography and Intervention, which is one of the large group of interventional cardiologists, as well as American Heart Association and American College of Cardiology, just recently endorsed a statement about uh, heart uh, artery stent procedures in ambulatory surgery center, and they found um, them to be as safe as having these procedures in the hospital. And I understand, uh, just to switch back to the types of procedures you're doing there, so assuming everything is just as, as safe, what is a PCI? And I, Because I understand you're one of the first people to, one of the first surgeons to perform that kind of uh, procedure in a, in a an outpatient setting. But PCI is, in a layman's term, it's a heart artery stent procedure. Percutaneous okay. means going through a needle hole in the skin. Uh, coronary means a heart artery and intervention is a procedure to implant a stent. Okay. So that's what you were saying. And I always assumed that that had to be under, you know, the, the sterile conditions of, of a hospital. That's that's my layman's uh, take on it. And you've You've made clear that that can be done in an outpatient setting. So, and how about how people pay for this? Because that's a a lot of what I work with clients on is if they need long-term care, there's a number of ways you're going to pay for that, some of which I can help with legal tools like Medicaid planning. How are people paying uh, cardiovascular experts of PA for for these various procedures? This, This is all insurance covered. So just like you have a procedure in the hospital and it's covered by your insurance, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, Highmark, uh, Capital Blue, Cigna, United, whatever uh, insurance that you have. And, and we charge the same way to the insurance company like the hospital does. Well, thank you, Dr. Dave, uh, with Cardiovascular Experts of PA. You have described 
not only what people should be looking for, not write off those aches and pains of getting older or fatigue. You've you've offered advice on on looking at risk factors and what people can do about that. This is going to be extraordinarily helpful for an awful lot of people out there. In the meantime, I hope everybody will tune in for our next episode, but also check out the information at cardiovascularexperts.com, at keystoneelderlaw.com, and continue to take in information so that you can, more importantly, take action. You, This is all meant for your benefit for the later years of life. I hope you found this helpful, and I hope you'll tune in next week for the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. This has been the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580.